Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, Annual Reviews and Compensation, Part 1 of 2. Well, folks, if you haven't figured it out yet, we're in the last quarter of the calendar year. So what are effective managers doing today? They're already thinking about performance reviews for their directs. Now, we don't agree with delivering all reviews at the end of the calendar year. We've said that enough times, but we know it's prevalent. So for today's cast, we're going to assume that to be true. When we first delivered our podcast on reviews, however, we didn't discuss compensation. And in this cast, we cover it for the first time. The fact is, the compensation decision is truly separate from the performance analysis that precedes the preparation of the review. Nevertheless, managers often have to deliver the results of both at the same time, so it's prudent to be thinking about compensation in Q4. If you don't know the bucket theory of compensation, yeah, bucket, that's what I said, bucket, you'll have to listen in. Here we go. I don't know if you found this, but I've found that compensation decisions are one of those areas that the really great managers really distinguish themselves. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I think it's one of those things, you know, we, we've talked before about annual reviews and when they happen and, and doing them all at the end of the year. And you and I both believe that if you do them at the end of the year, if you do them all at once, the, the, the Christmas rule applies, the horseman Christmas rule, which is if you only do something once a year and it's important to you, you're not going to be good at it. Um, and I think compensation is almost an afterthought. Um, as part of the review process. So it gets tied up in the poor review process. We, we, we know that. Um, and, and then in addition, when it comes up, it's people asking for more money, right? Which is a budget issue and managers don't know how to handle that. Uh, I'm sure there's a f- cast we've got to do on that. But, but what happens is it, you're right. I mean, essentially, this is one of those places where with a little bit of work, you can distinguish yourself. Um, a, a little bit of advanced planning, thinking about the theory behind compensation, thinking about how to prepare for it. Um, uh, you can be way better. But the fact is the vast majority of managers lead lives of quiet desperation when it comes to compensation decisions. You're right. Yeah. And this is another area where HR does the organization a huge disservice, you know, in trying to keep one or two bad managers from making a mistake. Yeah, exactly. They, they put these, these limits on what other managers are allowed to do. And many managers just swallow the, the company line. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a case to be made. I think lawyers would make it. And it always seems like lawyers and, and HR people are close together, right? <laughs> um, it's like, it's like the joke of, of, uh, Ulysses S. Grant going back to Galena, Illinois. And, uh, um, he sees some lawyers in the town, uh, in a, in a pub at wintertime and they're sitting around you know, it's cold outside and some, he, he looks pretty bad when he's coming from the road. He wasn't known for being sharp looking. And, uh, and they said, Hey general, um, you look like you've been through hell. How is it there? Um, same. And he says, same as here, lawyers closest to the fire. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, you know, it just seems like, um, the, 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 we build a process that will eliminate any possibility of getting in trouble. The problem is if you limit the downside, 
you you limit the upside. It's just the nature of the risk model. All, all risk uh, um, uh, risk and reward curves. And so, yeah, they they basically tighten it down to the point where the top end of managers have to be at the top of the company where they can ignore that kind of stuff and just do whatever they want. And actually, I found that uh, some managers that are really, really successful in the middle of their careers, mid-level managers, a director, a senior director, a junior VP or something, the re- one of the reasons they're good is they pay very close attention to what law, what laws and rules and processes and policies senior people are willing to flaunt or flout um, in order to get what they want. And they discover that HR won't stand up to them and maybe they can get away with doing the same thing. But the vast majority, you're right, totally just swallow the tripe. Um, and then I think there's a little bit different piece that I think HR sometimes has a little loophole and drive the truck through. And, we, and you and I have talked about this before. Whenever we poke around, we realize that HR doesn't actually say you cannot Right. I mean, as some junior people do, right? They say things like, this is the way things are done. Um, or this is, this is how we do it. But they don't actually bring out the policy. And of course, heaven forbid they actually have a written policy. Um, or what happens is one manager goes and asks a question, misunderstands the HR person leaves it kind of vague. This is the way things are done. Or, you know, I really don't recommend you do that. That makes it much harder. And then one man, that one manager comes back, educates 10 of her friends poorly in other words they all start doing the same thing and then and then that end result is essentially really ineffective behavior with everybody saying oh yeah uh jill went and asked and uh, well we just can't do it you know that hr said no and hr didn't really say no uh and hr could defend themselves in that no we didn't say no you guys just misunderstood jill asked a specific question we gave her a specific answer um you and i both know the fact is very few very few organizations uh, tightly proscribe manager behavior around compensation discussions. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the great thing about it is that, you know, firms talk about guidance, right? They issue guidance. guidance. Yeah. And that presents yeah. this huge opportunity for manager tools managers who want to think intelligently about compensation and its incentive value. Yes. There, there is there yes. is some some flexibility around that. Yeah. And, and when they say guidance, that's a great, you know, look, here's our guidance. Well, they're not saying, here's the policy, and you must meet the policy. And, you know, if they say, here's the policy, and please sign this document saying you are aware of the policy, and, of course, any document that you have to sign, the last line says, and I understand there may be penalties for failing to follow the policy, right? Um, so, yeah, that word guidance is a great key, kind of an indicator that says, okay, HR does have guidance, but but I've got some flexibility here, and I don't want to not take advantage of small things. We're not, we're not asking anybody to break the bank. We're suggesting there's some things you can do. We'll talk about them in this cast that can make you more effective, particularly as it relates to rewarding or more, more, more professionally incenting your top performers. So basically what we're saying is unless you're told categorically that you can't do something, we recommend you go ahead and try to do it. We have to admit it here, right? It, it is very possible that you may be told you can't do what we suggest. And we would still suggest that you go ahead and try to do it. Right. You know, get your, you get your boss and HR to, to okay it. Yeah. If you've got a top performer, you say, you know, I know the policy says this, but look, here's what the policy means for Joe, my top performer. It means that we're only going to give him 3%. He just got a 50% uh, compensation uh, increase from a competitor and he turned it down and we're going to slap him in the face with 3%. Come on. You got to work with me on this one. And 
Once that happens and a manager does that because they're stressed about taking care of Joe, the top performer, um, or Stefan, who's also very, very good, something like that, you, 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 um, you go, Oh, wow. He really was guidance. Um, um, now there is one case that we have to be careful. It, it, it is compensation. Um, and, if you're going to get what we call a gray area move, in other words, you're going to you're going to do compensation that goes into the you're going to have a compensation decision that goes into the gray area. We admit you must get that cleared before you can communicate next year's compensation to a direct. In other words, you can't just go to Stefan and say, Stefan, you had a great year. I haven't got this approved yet, but I'm going to give you eight percent, even though the guidance is two percent. And then HR comes back and says, no, really, you can't do that because he's a year, he's only a year in the company. We can only guarantee 3% or whatever. And then you got to go back hat in hand and imagine the kind of compensation slash, imagine the retention discussion or, or perhaps worse, the turnover discussion you're going to have with Stefan saying, I know I said eight, really, I meant two. Yeah. This, this is one, yeah. isn't one of those areas you want to go into lightly. Um, Without without thinking through it, the, the consequences of poor decisions here can be pretty significant. And I guess I guess it occurs to us here we are talking about HR and policies and guidance and so on. But it's fair to say that some managers would hear the word guidance, would think, oh, "Okay, I could do something," and then and then they would say, "Well, but I've got to get it cleared." Oh, to heck with it! I'll just use the standard stuff. And 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 that is a manager making a decision that following policy which they know is going to create retention or turnover or incentive or motivation or performance issues in the next year, um, that th th they're willing to do that, um, uh, following it is going to have that impact. A manager who does that without pushing back, in my opinion, is not somebody who's a, who's a top manager. I think it's either a youthful manager, a, a new manager who's not willing to to get their their knees skinned, so to speak. Um, and I think a manager who makes that choice just ought to be clear about why he or she is making it. And they're part of the problem. It's not it's not HR's problem anymore. If you feel like there's a, some guidance and you have a chance to do something and you back away for fear that you might be pushing too hard, then you're part of the problem. Right. Okay. So why don't we go through the basics? We got two caveats before we start. And then we right. have two major recommendations with some related comments. Right. Caveat number one is, well, look, we know this may not work for everybody. So we'll talk about that. Caveat number two is, is please, folks, this is nowhere near all we have to say on compensation. Compensation is very complex. Um, and, and so this is a, 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 perhaps our first cast, I guess, really talking about. We've touched upon it in other casts, but this is one where we're directly talking about compensation. But if we had 50, I wouldn't be surprised in the next 10, 15 years. Um, our first recommendation is we introduce the bucket theory of compensation decisions. That's not to suggest that you can go out to Amazon and find a book called The Bucket Theory. <laughs> this is the Ozan Horseman bucket theory. It's a way of thinking about compensation. There are four sub points to recommendation one, the bucket theory, and they are for most positions, company performance is the major driver of compensation decisions. And that is a huge surprise. I, I think most people understand it, but but the communication of it is terrible. Yeah, and uh, they don't think two, about it like that. Exactly, yeah, and certainly employees don't think about it this way. Number two, increases do not have to be standardized. Number three, think of the percentage increase actually as a bucket of cash. And then last, number four, apply that bucket differentially. 
And then recommendation number two is to consider the value, consider the, 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 the benefit of, of going, uh, of creating and delivering a one-time bonus. And there are five sub points here. First of all, bonuses are different, very different from salary. We'll talk about that. Number two, ask for a number, a dollar amount, not a percentage. Number three, you've got to create a one page ask based on a specific performance win or event. You can't just walk in and say you really need it. You've got to actually dot your I's and cross your T's. You've got to make a case. Number four, um, you want to tie the distribution of it, even though it's, you're distributing it at the end of the year. You want to, you want to, the distribution, the bonus should be based on a non-recurring theme or an event or initiative. And then lastly, you want to make sure if in fact you get one, you want to make sure you talk about next year's bonus as well. So look, uh, I'll go ahead. I'll take the first caveat and then you, you maybe you can jump on the second one. Um, look, folks, we know this may not work for you. Um, as we alluded to earlier, every company is different. It's possible that your company is horribly specific and you don't have even this basic beginner level of leverage or input into this important incentive allocation process. It does happen and you could be one of those managers. You should not simply accept that that's the case. And so we encourage you to be skeptical. Um, and if in fact that you ask a couple of managers and they say, yeah, this is kind of how we do it. That's not proof that your company is horribly specific and you don't even have the basic beginner level of leverage. Right. That just means that other people think that's the case. And it may very well be that they know there's guidance, but they don't want to push back. You've got to push a little bit here. And the great thing about being a new manager, whether you're a vice president or director, or whatever, you can go and say, look, compensation is too important for me to mess up. This is my first conversation about it. I need a half hour briefing. I want somebody from HR to come to my desk and brief me for 45 minutes. I'm always amazed. HR says, you need to come to HR. That's, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> and, and, and privately, I'm thinking to myself, no, you work for me. Um, uh, we're the people that you're supporting. You're an internal resource that supports managers. Um, so make HR come to you if you can and say, look, sit down and tell me what the policy process and procedures are regarding compensation and, and make them bring written documentation. If they don't have it, you can almost roll your eyes and say after 15 minutes, say, okay, great. I got the key points and then pretty much do what you want as long as your boss will support you and has your back. Okay. Caveat number two, this is nowhere near all we have to say on the subject. Yeah. You yeah. Know, compensation is a, it's a big topic. And so yeah. if anybody's coming to this particular podcast thinking that this is the Bible on compensation, no. they're, they're sadly mistaken. This is a yeah. very, very narrow piece of compensation. So, you know, we, we have at least uh, 20, maybe I think you said earlier 50 casts on this topic over the next, you know, few years. So we've right. got more to come. And, and frankly, a lot of it is not necessarily tied to performance reviews, even if this one is. And not only is compensation important to your directs, it's it's a moving target, hence why we're gonna spend some time. Yeah, on we're it. gonna we're gonna yeah we're gonna have to keep people updated about about trends and, and issues. Yeah, I mean, many years ago there was this real move towards team pay, right? Yeah, though you know that's that's fizzled quite a bit. 
Lately, it, it there's makes, look. It makes sense. It makes sense if you're gonna if if you're gonna put teams together and you're gonna give individualized pay, individualized bonuses, individualized compensation, you're gonna get individualized performance because pay is such a huge part of the incentive program. It makes sense if you want team behavior, you're gonna have to incent team behavior, and and it really didn't work because at least in the U.S. it's not true everywhere. There are plenty of places where team pay works. At least in the U.S. The entire upbringing, the entire maturation process is about individual performance. Uh, it's, it, it's why I think, um, uh, basketball and baseball are as popular. Baseball particularly is popular in the U.S., whereas soccer is much more popular worldwide. Yeah. There's much more of a feeling about it, the, the willingness to be a part of a team. Even though Americans talk about being part of a team, um, the, the icon for America, I'm sure, in the rest of the world is a cowboy, and the cowboy is an iconic, singular individual. He's not. You don't talk about a team of cowboys, that's for sure. Right. Most of our training, we, for, in terms of our performances, individual or teams, comes really in school. Right. And in uh, in school, we we discourage team behavior because if you if you exhibit team behavior in academics, it's called cheating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, now, there's going to be somebody a Stanford MBA who's a classic example saying, "No, no, no. We actually have teams, and we get graded on teams." Yes, we know that. We're making a broad, sweeping generalization regarding um, a development of people and what incentives they're used to, and why pay has tend to not gone as strongly toward team pay as many many people thought it would ten to fifteen, twenty years ago. Yeah. And then there's, there's other trends, too. There, you know, there's lately there's been a lot of talk about openness or transparency. And again, we probably, you know, we think that's going to fade as well. So, so right. the point is, we're not done here. Stay tuned. We'll, we'll have more in the future. Yeah. And, and I just I'll add one more thing. Well, certainly, I, I don't know when it'll come out and when this one's coming going to come out. But but I will tell you that that um, we've got to have one about how to handle a raise request. Right. I mean, how, well, what do you do when oh, somebody certainly. comes to ask for it? And and how, how do you go ask for a raise? Um, we have a couple of stories about that one, in fact. Good. OK, so that does it for the caveats, I think. Right, right. So our first recommendation is the bucket theory of compensation decisions, <laughs> which we love. And our first point here is that for most positions, company performance, surprise, surprise, is the major driver. Yeah, this is, I, I think for newer managers, this is an aha moment. And, and I think everybody knows it, but it doesn't really smack them in the face in terms of what it means. It's, it's just a huge miss for many managers. And I think companies really are complicit in this misperception slash miscommunication that I think is a key driver of poor behavior or ineffective behavior around compensation discussions once compensation decisions are made. In a nutshell, if you've never delivered a review before um, and, and, and you've never given been given some sort of salary guidance from your organization that allowed you to give, uh, that make salary decisions or compensation decisions, here's what happens. Towards the end of the calendar year, in most cases, HR and finance and senior leadership of the organization, we're talking the C-suite folks now, um, determine based on past corporate performance, future projections, the marketplace and so on, um, uh, earnings guidance and so on, what kind of compensation increase is possible for the upcoming year. That is done organizationally. Now, as an individual manager, just think about that statement for a minute. HR finance, and senior leadership determine, based on past corporate performance and future projections, what kind of compensation increase is possible for the upcoming year. 
Think about that small unit manager and compare your role in the compensation process, which is, of course, making the decision, getting your decision approved, vetted, and then actually communicating that compensation decision. You're going to have to deliver a specific number to each individual employee. You can't just tell all of your employees, the corporate number is 2.9%. They're going to say, the first, I mean, they're going to say, uh, and what would be my part of that? Yeah. <laughs> right? Right? Your role here is an individual one. You have to carry the organization's water to individuals who are not knowledgeable about what the organization has done, but they know they have to do their math for their own families. And, and perhaps most importantly, those directs have a fundamental assumption that what you are giving them in their salary increase is a direct reflection of their performance when in fact it is not. That's a huge point. Yeah. Um, the fact is the most important decision that is made is an organizational one that any one individual virtually has no impact on. Yet that decision, what's the number? What, what is it? 2.9? Is it 2.5? Is it 1.4? Is it 4.7? Um, that decision has virtual total influence over what the individual is actually going to get. That's not to say there's not individual variation, but it all varies around that number. Um, so, so that decision has total influence over what the individual is actually going to get it, when the manager is actually having to apply, therefore communicate the salary, the administration of salaries of compensation. And look, here's what happens. The younger or the newer manager often think that they're caught in the middle because their lack of understanding basically keeps them there. But folks, look. It's completely reasonable to talk about the, to how the 2.5% standard was created. If you think your team doesn't know what it is, well, think again. I mean, your team knows the number. Someone in payroll or HR or finance has absolutely spilled those beans. So it's okay to educate folks saying, look, and I want, I want you to understand, we've gotten salary guidance. The salary guidance is the increases this year are going to be 2.5%. Okay. Uh, it's completely reasonable for you to tell uh, folks what the company standard is. And I actually will say that if you say 2.5% one year and then 2.2% the next year, you want some of your people, not all of them will do that, but some of them will engage you and say, well, why do you think it was 2.2 versus 2.5? That's a teachable moment for one of your directs to talk about corporate performance, profitability, uh, uh, investments that were made that didn't pan out, connecting managerial behavior, managerial real life, day to day, how my salary is going to be affected to the larger ebbs and flows of large organizations, which most managers, while they understand how their work contributes, they don't know how their economic value contributes to the profitability, which is the economic value in the near term of the organization. Okay. Now, but we, what we know what everybody's thinking about right now though, right? (laughs) They're thinking, everybody listening here is thinking, I don't want to share that. (laughs) Do I? Because that means if I differentiate, I'm going to have to have much tougher conversations with my poor performers. And that's, that's uncomfortable. Yeah, in other words, in other words, if they know it's 2.5%, you can't hide from the fact that if you give somebody 2.0, they know that they underperformed relative yeah, exactly. to whatever standard you have, right? Um Yeah, as if you not telling them that it's 2.5 will keep them from knowing it, 
right? Uh, folks, like I said, someone in payroll or HR or finance has actually le- released that number and that number has spread like wildfire. Yeah. The standard for the company is 3% and, and, and the guy looks at you and says, and you're giving me 2%? That can't be fair. I can't believe you're cheating me out of what I earned. I earned 3%. The company's getting 3%. Everybody's getting 3%, right? And the answer is no. The company's not getting 3%. The company has said, we can tolerate in the marketplace a 3 percentage point increase in the total amount of salary that we deliver. That does not, that there, there is no implication, although there is a huge inference drawn in most managers' cases, and certainly in the case of HR, there's an inference drawn that therefore everybody gets 3%, which is, of course, fundamentally wrong to a manager tools manager's thought process, which is I want to incent behavior that I like and disincent behavior I don't like. Right, and, and, and because of the unwillingness to have that somewhat difficult conversation, Thousands, even hundreds of thousands of managers commit that cardinal sin of annual compensation decisions, which is giving standard increases to everyone to avoid having tough conversations with their below average performers. The the peanut butter rule. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know what? You nailed it. Think about the sin we commit here. In order to avoid a difficult conversation with a performer who got less than the norm, we are willing to penalize our top performers who also, by the way, know what the average is. Yeah, probably words, even more than the poor performers. Oh, yeah, they're of course. Sharp. Oh, yeah, they know, they know even more quickly. And they may actually understand a little bit better. In other words, our own fear of doing what is we know to be our job hurts the organization with the people the organization most, want, most wants to keep and reward. But Mark, but Mark... My team is all top performers. They all deserve top raises. I'll hear this all the time. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that – I mean, how many times have we heard that? Is it 100 or is it 500, right? Mark, you don't understand. And and I I promise you, if Mike and I are standing together and we're in an airport and somebody comes up and says, I heard this cast, and this this happens, they come and say, whoa, big fans, and and they come up and say, I I don't think you understand. The moment they start talking about this cast and they say, I don't think you understand, Mike and I will look at each other and go, a team of top performers. And the guy's going to say, yeah, how did you know? <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say that. I, as soon as that comes up, I'm going to run the other direction because your head is going to explode and I don't want to get my clothes dirty. <laughs> yeah, it happens all the bloody time. And, and we don't buy it 95% of the time. For those of you who are thinking this, you're probably wrong. Uh, yep. And for those 5% who are right, we have two thoughts. One, get used to the idea of having less salary incentive ability than you want to. That good, is just, good. That's exactly. They need, they need to get used to it. Yep. That's life. Second one is this cast isn't the one where we're going to talk about lobbying for a bigger piece of the pie. You know, when you go to your manager, meet with your boss, there, there's, some, there's some, some thoughts we have about that, but we're not going to talk about that. That's a completely different cast about compensation decisions. Yeah. Let me, let me just be blunt. The, the corporate number may be 2.5 and your division may have been given a number of three. And another division may have given, been given a number of two. And your boss may have gotten a number of 3.5 from his boss because his boss has three and he's going to give 2.5 to another one of the managers. 
That absolutely happens as the cascade comes down. The buckets of cash, the which which are essentially communicated in percentage points, um, are differentially applied to the sub organizations of the large organization. It isn't it, it isn't as if every manager is told two point five percent. In fact, it's very possible that you've heard two point five percent, and that is the number that's been con- communicated down to four or five levels down from the very top, and that may not be the corporate number and. You you need to double check that in some cases. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry for the interruption. No, that's fine. I mean, it's great because that brings us to our second, our second point of our bucket theory, which is increases don't have to be standardized. Well, that's it for part one. We'll finish up part two of this series next week. So until then, please join us on the discussion forums, www.managertools.com slash forums. And until then, we'll see you all next week. So long. So long.